Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Becky Davidson, and it's my pleasure to introduce um, our speaker this afternoon, Dr. Wendy David, who happens to be a friend of mine, too, which is very cool. And Wendy is a licensed uh, psychologist practicing in private practice in Seattle. She had a long career with the veteran VA, uh, specializing in trauma uh, treatment. Um, she's involved in a lot of things, um, including the board of directors of Ski for Light, and the, board of direct, yay, and the Board of Directors of Guiding Eyes for the Blind. And she travels extensively presenting and has over the years. And uh, she's written two books, both of which I believe are available for download on the BARD. Just one. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, the travel one is. Safe Without Sight is not on the BARD, but it's a great book. Um, and then um, Sights Unseen is what we're going to be focusing on today. Um, it's a great travel handbook, and she's got... She took a lot of her experiences and a lot of things she's learned and put them in this book, and it's really enjoyable. And she's going to share her knowledge with us today. So I give you Dr. Wendy David. There. No, it's not. Thank you, Becky. So we're fiddling with the mic here because it, it's tired and it wants to keep falling down. We do. That's the one we have. I just don't want to hold it. Larry, you can hold it. Okay, we'll try this. How how is that? Okay, so I have to sit at a funny posture to do this. So nobody's taking pictures, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, well, first of all, it's. I just want to say thank you for having me. Um, I am really excited to be here, and I'm excited to be talking to the group, and, um, and I really appreciated getting Lillian's call and the committee um, interested in, in having me come. And I'm always happy to talk about travel um, because it's just, I think, one of the things that makes my life so interesting and exciting and I have learned over the years that so many blind people have believed for many years that that um, experience maybe isn't, can't be afforded to them. And so I want to really just hopefully whet your appetite a little bit and help you understand that it's very doable and that, you know, with just a little bit of knowledge and know-how and planning ahead of time, you can have just a really amazing experience in travel. And, you know, when we talk about travel, you know, a lot of times, and I was this way for a very long time, you know, we have these amazing dogs, and so we travel, right? But that's different kind of travel. That's like we're getting to somewhere. We're going there. And once we get there, we're there, and that's what we do. But when I'm talking travel now, I'm talking about being there. Experience your, you know, experiencing something new. Experiencing something that maybe will broaden your understanding and your perspective and your cultural awareness and your friendships and, you know, amazing memories that you bring home with, me, with you other than, you know, going to an airport, getting on a plane and and sitting in meetings all day. Not that there's anything wrong with these meetings. These are great meetings, but... 
<laughs> I just put my foot in that one. So it uh, won't be the first time or the last, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, how many of you, I mean, I know you all travel because you're here, right? But how many of you have ever said to yourself, where would I love to go? And, like, you know, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it. I might even do it by myself, or I might do it with another blind person, but not I have to find a sighted person to take me or go with me. How many of you have sort of had that conversation? Yeah? Awesome. How many of you have had that conversation and said, no, that would be too hard? Yeah, I think so. And, and, and it's understandable, right? Because there's a lot of places that, especially outside of the United States, that, you know, might be really fascinating, but might really feel out of, you know, our comfort zone. And it is out of our comfort zone because they have different rules, they have different cultures, they have different expectations, they may or may not have sidewalks, they may or may not even have toilets. I mean, I'll be happy to share my experiences in Nepal if you want to hear them. But anyway... um, a friend of mine said, boy, you really learned a lot there, didn't you? <laughs> Lots of new skills. I said, yeah, I added to my skill set. Um, so, I mean, it is really sometimes overwhelming to think that you can, as a blind person, pick up and go somewhere and not have to have a sighted spouse or partner or friend or traveling companion and that you can still have a really amazing and successful experience. And so what I want to share with you today is just some of the experiences that I've had. Um, And sitting to my left here is Larry Showalter, who's going to, this is the only time he probably can ever remember me asking him to please give me time checks. Larry loves to tell me that I'm always late and what time it is, but, but I have asked him today to give me time checks, so I appreciate you being here, Larry. Thank you. Um... And so, um, so Larry and I have had some pretty amazing travels together. I've had some travels without him. Um, and we've had travels together with other blind friends that have been really incredibly fun and interesting. Um, and I will say that it's always been interesting. Sometimes it's been challenging. Sometimes it can be stressful. Um, but, you know, we've never been permanently lost We've always gotten back home again. And, um, and in the process, we've had some amazing stories and experience. Wouldn't you agree? Okay. As long as he agrees, that's all we need. Okay. So one of the things that, the, one of the reasons why I wrote Sights Unseen, let me just ask, how many of you have read Sights Unseen? Oh, that's awesome. So, thank you. How many of you have not read Sights Unseen? You're right. It was just about half. Larry said half. I thought it was more than half. I just downloaded it. Wonderful. Um, So Sights Unseen was written because people kept saying to me, well, who went with you? And I'd say, oh, either I went by myself or I went with Larry or we went with another blind couple or there were four guide dogs or whatever. And they'd say, well, but yeah, but who else went with you? You know? (laughs) And I'd say, well, that's who went with us. And it's like, but who helped you when you were there? It's like, well, we helped each other, and we had our dogs, and we went, you know. And it's like, 
And I thought it was so fascinating to me that it wasn't just sighted people who asked that. In fact, most of the time it was other blind people that would ask that question. And so, you know, I was kind of feeling like I wanted to do some writing. I love to write, and I had written my first book, and I'd been um, safe without sight, and then it had been 10 years, and I thought, oh, it's time to write a book, but what should I write about? And I thought, you know what, I'm going to write some nuts and bolts about how we travel blind, because I think, you know, that if you, if you don't allow yourself these kinds of experiences, you're really missing out on a lot. So... Those of you who have read Sights Unseen know that it's not like a travel journal. It's not a, you know, I'm not telling you what hotels to stay in and where the best restaurants are and all this other stuff. I'm just really basically getting into how to travel and just real basic information that ended up becoming three Braille volumes um, with National Braille Press and, um, and about eight hours of download on BART. So... There's a lot of information in it, and what I'd like to do today is not repeat that information, if it's okay with you, because that was in 2010, and this is 2017, and I've taken a lot of amazing trips and had new experiences since then. So what I'd like to do is just build on that, assuming that you've either read it or will read it, and I hope you do, and I hope it's helpful, because that's why I wrote it, and, you know, but... Just kind of um, go from there. Is that okay with people? Okay. Um, And what I'd like to really focus on today is international travel. Because that can be challenging with a guide dog. It can be challenging without a guide dog. (laughs) But it can be really challenging with a guide dog. That does not mean it can't be done, and that does not mean it's not worth it. But there are some things that you really want to keep in mind when you're traveling with a guide dog. So... um, One of the first things um, to remember is that you don't have to do all this alone. That there are a lot of resources out there right now, um, Safe Without Sight. I'm sorry, Sights Unseen is a resource that gives you not only information on all different forms of travel, cruises, airports, planes, trains, buses... Um, all of that, but there about a third of the book is just resources. I had so much fun. Re- I love to research, and I researched all these organizations that help with putting together tours if you're traveling blind and you'd like to get a tour guide, or if you want to join a group, the ones that sort of are really accommodating to blind people, um, or different kinds of uh, experiences that blind people have found to be, and there, and it's divided into different sections like activities. There's adventure kinds of things if you're a skier, or if you want to go skydiving, or whatever you want to do. To you know, cruises to tour guides in different countries. So recently, last year, Larry and I um, and two other blind people went to the Mediterranean. And we took a, was it a 12-day cruise, 14-day cruise, and started in Rome, and ended in Rome. But we went to five countries, and the countries we went to were, um, of course, Italy. Um, We also went to um, Greece, we went to Israel, we went to Turkey, we went to Malta. That's five, I think. Okay. And, um, and... 
boy, oh boy, oh boy, did we have interesting experience before we even went on the cruise just getting our dogs ready for that cruise. So I'll share some of that with you because some of it we expected and some of it was kind of a surprise. Um, But they went, we went, we had a spectacular time. And um, it was really um, a wonderful, wonderful experience. Okay, so... You know, I, what, I, what I stress in the book and what I really want to stress here, too, is if you've never traveled alone other than, say, coming to a convention or something like that, start small. Start small and build up. And I'll give you a personal example of when Larry and I first started dating, like so many millions of years ago. Um, <laughs> You know, I had been married to a sighted man, and he had been married to a sighted woman, and I said to him, you know, you seem like a nice person, but I love to travel, and I've never really traveled, like, experienced, you know, really travel, travel, not getting around, not mobility, but traveling. You know, I like to know what's around me, and I like to have some, I like to know the colors of the flowers and are there flags waving and you know all this stuff i like to know all that and and so he said well you know what why don't we start let's take a field trip and see how it goes and i said okay so he he this is when he was still like trying to impress me i guess so he (laughs) he planned this field trip for us which was really awesome we live in seattle we plant we went on a field trip to victoria british columbia and so we had to get down to the ferry dock, and we took the Victorian Clipper, which was kind of a high-speed boat. And then when we got off the Clipper, we were going to spend an entire day in Victoria just sightseeing. But we realized that there were some specific things we might want to do and that it would be helpful to set some things up ahead of time. So... I said, well, I'd like to go to this um, provincial museum that's in Victoria. It's a fabulous museum. Would you see if we can get some docents, you know, set up? So Larry got us two docents, and we get to the, we take the clipper. It was really nice, and we get there, and we find the museum, and these two docents are, like, fighting. Like, I'm going to give the descriptions. The other one's going, no, I'm giving the descriptions. And... And they almost, like, actually wanted to separate us so they could each, like, give their... And so, anyway, it was really kind of amusing. But they were really loving having us be there and be so interested in everything that they've done. Since then, we've um, been really careful to request that we only need one docent. And so we've gone to other, like we've been to Friday Harbor, which is in the San Juan Islands, and they had a whale museum. And one, this was a different trip, and... One of the things that I've learned is that if you ask if they have any kind of children's presentations where the kids can touch things, we were able to touch the whale, um, baleen, is that what you call it? The teeth? Big teeth? And we heard all these whale sounds and, you know, I mean, it's very sensory when it deals with children. And so we had a wonderful little tour of that museum. Um, we were in a Boston museum once, and we actually, I actually got to feel a pig's heart. Yeah, it was really incredible. I think you decided you weren't interested in that one, right? Yeah. But I found it fascinating. That's because that's just the kind of thing I like to do. So, um, And again, that was part of the children's um, museum. So we've traveled to many, many places where we've had wonderful tours in museums in Amsterdam, 
Um, we went to the Anne Frank house. I did set it up ahead of time. I wrote and I asked if there was anyone there who could give us a tour. And um, the director of education actually gave us a tour of the Anne Frank house. And we climbed the ladder that went up into the loft, the second floor attic, I guess, which was extremely tiny. And so hard to imagine that what were there, like five people living there and, you know, having to just live in this space quietly all day long. It was really incredible. So we've had some amazing museum tours. And most people would think of museums as being pretty visual, right? But, you know, I think if you can, again, set it up ahead of time, you can get some really great things. So anyway, we learned that day. Um, we went, he had, he had um, arranged for us when we went back in Victoria to do, go to this, they had a butterfly museum, and the butterflies were flying all around the dogs, and they were landing on the dogs' heads. And then it went fine until this macaw parrot, macaw, didn't like my black lab at the time, and started chasing us and the guy like intervened right away and I'm not sure if poor Sherlock really knew what was going on but he was okay so yeah so I mean it was just fun and I was thinking we I wouldn't have had these kinds of experiences right with a sighted partner probably I mean it was just very different for us and so it kind of gave me a different way of looking at things. And that that was sort of the start of our travels. And so we went from an afternoon, then we would, like, experiment. Okay, well, now let's try staying one day and one, you know, two days. And then, you know, anyway, so now it's like, you know, we were just on a 14-day Mediterranean. So, you know, start small. And you don't have to go far. You can just, but just see what it's like. And just allow yourself an opportunity to be open to, you know, different things that are out there. Because I can guarantee that you're going to experience things that you did not expect. And those are probably going to be your best memories. So when you're planning your stuff, you know, think about what kind of experience you want. Do you want something relaxing? Do you want something, you know, um, adventurous? Do you want something rugged? Do you want something, you know... Um, romantic? Do you want something by the ocean? You know, you want to think about your experience first and then ask yourself, you know, if I have this experience, where would be my, like, my fantasy place that I'd love to go to? And, you know, and then when would I like to go and what would I really love to do there? And then Try to hold off on asking yourself, how in the world am I going to be able to do this? Because if you ask yourself that first, you'll probably say it's too hard. So you want to give yourself all the what, where, why, whens, and everything first. And just let your mind go with it. Oops, my mic just collapsed here. Okay. Um, but, bye, Becky. I'll see you later. <laughs> you were trying to sneak out, I know. <laughs> Thank you for introducing me. Um, okay, so so then get then it's how. Okay, so part of the how is where are you going, and if you're going someplace where you would like to take your guide dog. Now, when you're considering taking your guide dog, there's a lot of questions to be asking. First of all, is it going to be appropriate for a dog? And when I say appropriate for a dog, that encompasses a lot of territory. Oh, Larry, this keeps collapsing. Can you hold it up? Okay. No, not that, not quite that high. Right there. 
Now Larry's holding the mic, too. Okay, but can you still give me time checks when you... No, okay. Um, that's asking way too much. Okay, so, you know, is it going to be a really long flight? Um, and if so, you know, will there be time to take your dog out and relieve your dog? So when we went to the Mediterranean, we initially had booked a flight, a really good, you know, connection and everything through D.C., then realized we would not have time to relieve our dogs, and I was not going to make a dog go from Seattle to D.C. and then D.C. to Rome without relieving. So we had to call back, and we had to completely change our routing, um, and we went through Newark, and we had a three-hour layover, which, you know, gave us time to get the dogs out and everything. So, you know, um, and I'll talk about airport relief and all that in another in, in a little bit. But if you want to bring your dog, you really want to consider some of these things. What is the access in the, with the dog to the country? So every single country outside of the United States and maybe Canada is going to have a different set of rules. And you need to know those rules for every country that your plane, train, or boat will be stopping at, even if you do not leave the plane, train, or boat. So, for instance, I had a friend who was going to France via Iceland. They transferred flights in Iceland, and guess what? He got to the gate, and they said, well, where is your health certificate for Iceland? And he said, well, we're not getting out in Iceland. And they said, well, you can't go then with his guide dog. So he had to wait another day, and it's quite an an interesting series of events to get all the health certificates signed by all the appropriate parties before you leave. So I had a situation um, a while back where I was giving a presentation at the American Psychological Association in Honolulu four years ago, and um, there was a storm. And I'll talk a little bit about Hawaii more in detail later if any of you have specific interest in Hawaii, which is an amazing place to go with your dog. Um, But um, there was a storm, and so my flight was canceled. I had to get there to do this presentation. There was a flight leaving to go through Maui. They would not allow me to get on that plane because the dog had to be cleared in Honolulu. And so even though I had all everything you know taken care of to clear the dog in Honolulu, um, that since the plane was stopping in Maui first, and I would have to transfer to another plane, even though I'd stay in the airport, it didn't matter. I was still on Hawaiian soil, so I um, that was a little bit stressful to say the least. Okay, so you want to know what are, the, what are the rules um, and what, what kind of documents are you going to need? And I'm going to give you some ideas to where to find some of these because it can be a little overwhelming. Um, is it safe to take your dog there? If, you, if I can't drink the water there, I'm not giving it to my dog, right? So will you be able to get the dog out easily? Meaning, is it going to be safe? You know, I just recently took a trip to Nepal. I was there for two weeks. I did not take my dog to Nepal. Um, Fortunately, Larry had no interest in going to Nepal either, so (laughs) guess who got to stay home together? Um, That was convenient. So I, and I'll tell you, I went with a group. But I had to travel from Seattle to Kathmandu by myself with a cane, um, 42 hours, because I had a free ticket, and it routed me literally to Timbuktu and back. But... One night I had a 12-hour layover in the Bangkok airport, and I found a little hotel I could stay in in the Bangkok airport without having to leave and do immigration. 
But I was thinking to myself then, as much as I would have loved to have had my dog with me while I'm staying in this country that I didn't understand the language and the whole thing, I, I would have had to go through immigration to take my dog out to pee, come back in. You know what I'm saying? So um, for me, it was... It, and then when I got to Nepal, it was really clear that I'd made the right decision because there are wild dogs. There were elephants walking down the street. There were chickens and goats. There's a lot of rabies. There's a lot of starvation of animals. It's a very poverty-stricken country. Um, and it was very hot and very dirty. And it would not have been a good environment for her. So, um, and it was monsoon. It wasn't even supposed to be monsoon season, but at 3 o'clock every day we had three feet of water in the street. So, you know, it would have been a really tough place for a dog. So you want to look at all those kinds of things. We've, we've actually um, been on cruises where we could have taken our dog to some of the Caribbean islands, and we've cleared them to, because we've had to, even though we chose not to take them off the boat there because we've heard there were wild dogs there. So just because your dog is cleared to go somewhere doesn't mean you have to take them in if you're on a cruise or something. Um, but the one thing, and I will just really keep stressing this again and again and again, is that you have to plan ahead. You really have to plan ahead. And it took us literally about a year to get our dogs ready for the Mediterranean. Not only did it take us about a year, it probably came up to almost a thousand bucks between the two dogs. Um, Larry has a dog also. So, um, so yeah, so it's not necessarily cheap, um, and it's not easy, but if you are traveling on your own and you enjoy traveling independently with your guide dog and you know you're going to be in places that are safe and you know that you are going to be able to keep your dog, you know, um, respectful of the culture and, you know, all of that, you know, it's wonderful to be able to... I, I went through the entire old city of Jerusalem. Um, our two other blind friends that were with us on the cruise did not use guide dogs, and they both went sighted guide with a, with a tour guide that I had hired for the day. And I put my dog's bell on one of them, and we just followed behind. And I thought, I like this. This is nice. I felt very free, you know. And she did great. Um, so, so you need to really kind of consider what the environment's going to be like on the other side. Um, thank you. I knew you could do both. <laughs> um, okay, so the the there is a when you go into other countries, you cannot assume that the rules are going to be like they are in the United States. We are so lucky, so lucky in the United States. And I know we've all had problems with Uber and Lyft and airlines and TSA's and all of this. I know we all have. I've had my share, but we have the law on our side here. You do not necessarily have the law on your side in other countries, and you can't assume that you do. So when we went, we wanted to go to Rome three days early to tour Rome before our cruise left. And so we thought, well, that's fine. We'll just fly to Rome, and we'll stay in a hotel, and we'll, you know, um, do what we want to do. So um, not so easy. We couldn't get a hotel to accept both dogs. So they had to write the right to say no. So then we thought, I thought, well, this is, I'll be really smart here and we'll only call pet-friendly hotels. Well, no, because pet-friendly hotels means like they're the size of a chihuahua or something. They did not want, and they did not want two dogs in the room together. So at one point, our only offer after maybe 
55, 60 calls and emails, was a place that said, you and, and your husband and your two dogs can stay here, but you'll have to book two separate rooms, and your rooms will not have carpeting. Would you, li- would you like me to book those for you? <laughs> I said, no, thank you. Um, and so we did finally find a place, and, you know, it was fine. It worked fine. But it took us a really long time, and we just had to be aware of the fact that we were no longer in the United States, and they had the right to do that. Once we got on the cruise, you know, it was kind of a different thing. We had our ADA again, but we had a big period of time in there. The, the rule at the Vatican where we had arranged a tour was that the dog had to be muzzled. Well, our dogs, you know, don't need to be muzzled, but that was the rule. So we brought muzzles with us. Did we voluntarily put them on the dogs? No. But we had them with us, and in case they said you have to have them, we would put them on. So just like at TSA, there's not a lot of point in arguing about it. You just have to be prepared. You have to know what the rules are. And one of the things that's really difficult about traveling with your dog to international countries is that they all have different requirements in terms of documentation, rabies testing, titer testing, and microchipping. Um, How many of, well, we know all of our dogs here at least have one microchip, right? How many of your dogs have two microchips? How many of your dogs have three microchips? (laughs) My poor wafer has three microchips. Because she was given a nine-digit microchip at the school. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to be traveling internationally. She's going to need a 10-digit or 15-digit chip. Well, at that time they gave her, okay, so they gave her a second chip, a 10-digit chip. But Italy requires a 15-digit chip. So my choice was to either bring my own chip reader, which would have been about 300 bucks to rent one and big, or to um, get her a third chip. So I got her a third chip. So... I have to write down, I have in my little braille note taker, okay, left shoulder is, are these countries, (laughs) right shoulder is 10, you know, this kind of thing. The other thing you have to really be aware of is that um, the documentation and the titer test documentations are very different. Do you all know what I'm talking about when I say titer test? No? Okay, good. So um, titer is a a reading of the amount of antibodies, the dog has in their blood after being vaccinated for rabies. So, you know, I will just say right here and now, my dog is so special that she flunked her first titer test. And so she, you have to give them the rabies test and in about three, you have to wait three weeks and then you have to draw the blood. The vet draws the blood. The blood, there's only one place in the United States is Kansas State University. You send the blood they send the blood there. Then they run a test to make sure that the antibody level is at a certain level, and hers was too low. So then that meant we had to wait a certain amount of time again, get another rabies shot, which the rabies shot was probably still fine, right? But she had to have another one, wait another three weeks, get another blood draw, go through it again. Thank God she passed that one. Um, but that can take up to six months, one, one round. And so... Consequently, if you're going to go, you know, to an international place or Hawaii or, you know, a place that requires titer, then you need to really plan way in advance. The titer test also only um, 
lasts for three years. They keep it in the computer in the in the Kansas State University. Um, and so both our dogs, so my last dog, Star, we went to Hawaii five times because we wanted to get in as much as we could within the three years. But little did they know that Star's ashes are now in Hawaii, too. We buried Star in the Pacific Ocean off the coast of Maui because that's where she loved to go swimming. And so it was very appropriate. And um, But our two dogs now, their titer is up this July this month, this is July, isn't it? And we've gone. We've made the very difficult decision because we love Hawaii that we're not going to get these two retired yet, probably until I get my next dog because Wafer's eight and a half. And so, as much as we'd love to just be able to get on a plane and jump to Hawaii when we see a good airfare, probably not going to happen for a while. I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. My yeah, it is. It's it's probably not necessary, but for the tighter it is. No, I mean, I know it's necessary, but I didn't know health-wise. Yeah. Okay. That's why, I mean, some places you vaccinate rabies every year, some places every two years, some places every three years. You know, it's the same vaccine, but you just, um, different countries have different rules. Now, the other thing is, so, like, some countries have rules. If you're going to take your dog in there, you have they have to be treated for tapeworms. I cannot tell you how many times our dog, poor dogs have been treated for tapeworms. They've never had tapeworms. And it has to be within a certain amount of days. So on our cruise, they had to be vac- uh, tapewormed five days, no more than five days, no more than five days in advance for Malta. Well, we were on the cruise ship for 14 days. So how could we do that without the vet? You know, the vet had to do it. So... Um, they, we didn't want to go to Malta by then anyway. We were so tired, and <laughs> we had seen enough old rocks and stuff. So we stayed on the. We were the only ones on the boat at the pool deck, and had a wonderful afternoon on the, at the pool. But, um, but you know, even though, yeah. So they wouldn't have been able to get off in Malta anyway. Okay, a little bit lower. I'm craning my neck. There you go. I, keep, I feel like a giraffe. I keep stretching. <laughs> The other thing to keep in mind is that um, it's not just taking the dog out of the country. It's bringing the dog back into the country. So there's a whole other set of rules of bringing the dog back into the country. And I have heard horror stories of people having trouble getting their dogs back into the country. And so what you want to do, there's a wonderful website that we use all the time. It's called PetTravelStore.com. And they're all the websites, all this information are in the book. So we, you can check with the state departments. You can check with the embassies, embassies. Make sure it's, you know, the guide dogs, service dogs you're looking at and not the regular pet dogs because they're going to be different. Um, this pet travel store is going to try to sell you a passport kit containing all the forms and everything you need for each country. But you really don't have to buy it. You can just down, go to each country, download the information, and take that to your vet, and they will help you get all the forms and everything done. But give them a lot of time because it is a time-consuming process. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Do you want to say your name? Oh, okay. Hi. Oh, I'm Wendy David. That's okay. Yeah, it's called Sights Unseen, Traveling the World Without Sight. 
It was published by National Braille Press. If you'd like it in Braille or electronic, you can still buy it at the National Braille Press table here, I'm sure. If you want it on BARD, it is downloadable by BARD. Yeah, I really apologize. That's okay. Appreciate your question. Um, do you know that? About 500? I mean, you have to, if you have to pay for your vet every time you take them in, and you have to get the rabies, and then you have to get, make sure you got the right chip, and then you have the, the titer, and then it costs a bit to go to send the blood to Kansas. Um, yeah. So, but you'll, you know, it's, it's, it's pricey, but I, but again, like when we go to Hawaii, one of my very favorite things to do in Hawaii is to walk down this two-mile sidewalk that just bore, you know, goes all along the ocean. And I know I'm not lost as long as I can hear the ocean on the correct side. And then when I want to go back, I turn around, and the ocean's on the other side. And it is the most freeing, amazing experience to just get out there with your dog <laughs> and be in Hawaii walking you know, at sunset or whatever it is. I mean, it's it's just beautiful. That's, that island is Maui, but we've also, you know, we spent a lot of time on Oahu and we've been to other places. So I want to talk about packing for your dog because, you know, I don't know about you all, but I'm not a good packer anyway. And then when you're packing the food... And when I go on a cruise, I always ask if there's a life jacket for my dog. Some cruises have them. Some cruises don't. And so I will not let my dog go down with the ship, even though there's some people in this room I know that disagree with me. (laughs) That's right. In shark-infested waters. Um, So, yeah, so... What I finally realized was there is just no way I was going to be able to pack 21 days of dog food, which, by the way, if you're going internationally and you're taking the dog's food, get a letter from your vet that says this dog needs this specific food um, because they're on a special diet for their health, whatever you want to say. Because I have had, I almost had my dog's food confiscated in Paris, um, and I know someone who had their dog's food confiscated in Australia. And, you know, you know, that's stressful enough for the dog, and they don't need to be all of a sudden put on a food that they don't know and have diarrhea for the trip. So I'm getting there. Thank you. So what I did was I realized, I'm just, you know, I had 21 days worth of food. I had a life jacket. I had her grooming tools. I had medications. I had toys. I had her tie down. Um, I, you know, I had... Thank you. Um, you know, there was, there was just a lot to carry. And so I called the airlines and I said, look, you provide, um, you allow people to bring medical equipment at no cost. Will you allow my guide dog to bring her own suitcase? And they said, um, no. And I said, why? And they said, well, is it medical equipment? And I said, well, yeah. You know, she's my accommodation, and they go, well, we don't allow food to be counted as medical equipment. And I said, well, I understand that for humans, but if my dog doesn't have her food and she dies, that's a medical emergency, you know. So they went back, they checked with the supervisor, and they came back and said they would. So Wafer went to um, the Mediterranean with her own little purple suitcase, 
I carried it. I said I wanted to carry it on because I have had one bad experience where my luggage has been lost. And I just won't put her through that. So I always carry on her food, all her food. Some people don't, but I do. Um, and so, you know, and they go, well, you you better not put anything else in there because we might check it and da 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 And it's like, okay, uh, that's fine. So here's Wafer with her little purple suitcase off to Italy, and it was wonderful. So, yeah, so sometimes you have to, and I said to them, would you please put it in the record, and would you please email me a copy of what you put in the record? So I printed it out and kept it with me. Wendy, yes? Another tip that I found useful when traveling abroad where English is not the language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are, are we recording this? Yeah. Can, can we, you, I may be covering what you're just going to say, so can I are you talking about getting a little note card? Um, no, about okay. making up your own document in the language. That, this is a great thing. And um, one of the things that, that we've done, and we haven't gone to that extent with the document, but I think it's a wonderful idea, is if you have a letter from your vet and you know you're going to be in a country where maybe the language will be a barrier, you can just run that document through a translator program on the computer and have it in a in another language. And I th is that covering what you were going to share? Yeah. Okay. But it's just an explanation of what a guide dog is. And yes. For my safety and theirs. Exactly. And, and that's really fantastic idea. Um, the other thing that we've done, and I have them up here to show you if you're interested, we, I make little flashcards. So when we were in Paris, um, I had a little flashcard that said, Chien pour avugla, which I'm sorry if anyone speaks French. Whatever. <laughs> I don't speak French. But anyway, um, and so it was supposed to mean dog for the blind. Okay? So we're walking along, we're in the Tuileries Garden, and this police officer is like chasing us down, yelling, No chien, no chien, no chien. And so Larry was like so excited. And. <laughs> He stands up like real tall. He pulls out his little flashcard and he says, Chien pour avugula. And the guy looks at him and he looks at me and he goes, Monsieur avugula? And I said, oui. And he goes, voila. And he <laughs> let us go on. And so it's been very helpful. When I went on my trip to Nepal, Oh, no, I'm sorry. When I went, when we went on our trip to the Mediterranean, we had five different countries. And Greek is, you know, you don't even, I don't know if you even speak the language, but it's all printed out in Cyrillic and all this. So I had to get all this stuff off the Internet. But I made all these little flashcards, um, one that said, I always put our hotel name on one in case we're lost, and I can hand them that in that language. Um, I, I usually say, um, blind, please assist. I always say this is a service dog for the blind. And I put it in their language, and I put it in English for me, so I know what I wrote. And I usually braille on the back of it, so I know which card I'm giving out. Um, but I have found that to be very, very helpful just for us getting um, assistance along the way. So I have some of those here if you want to look at them. Um, okay. I want to talk a little bit about relief areas for your dog. So sometimes you have to be super creative. Um, and, you know, we're pretty spoiled again here. You know, you've got gravel, you've got grass, you've got curbs, you've got, you know, probably silk, whatever you want for your dog to pee on, you know. But it's like 
You're not going to get that when you travel <laughs> abroad or even on a cruise ship. And so one of the things that I have found is that if it is a cruise ship, my dogs, for some reason, my Labradors, not his shepherd, but my Labradors love to pee and poop and mulch. His likes grass or sod. And so we usually request a couple boxes with different things in it. But they, we don't always get it, and you also have to be very very persistent and vigilant about double-checking before the cruise because they'll say to you when you get on board, no one ever told us. So, you know, you really have to double-check and double-check and triple-check and keep checking before you get on. And sometimes you will and sometimes you won't get it. But they will put together a little box at least for you. Sometimes it has sand in it as if this is a cat. Um, Yeah. Sometimes they have um, these little pellets, like, you know, and I had one dog that she just refused to step on those. And yeah, but it was, it was hard on her little feet, you know. Yeah, she didn't like that. So, you know, so yeah, so, you, you know, you, you ask and then you just do what you can um, if it's not there. Um, so just really quickly, here's my packing list for my dog. I always take the dog's ID card, the health certificates, and I always bring two copies. Um, because inevitably they're going to say, we need this copy, and you may not get it back. Um, I always take a cane. I always take tie-downs. I always bring at least a few days of extra food. I always individually package them because all my dogs know the Ziploc bag test, which means that becomes their dish. Um, yeah. This particular dog has a big nose, so I have to rip it down the side. But she, I've timed her. She eats it in less than about 25 seconds. Um, so, again, I bring a doctor's note for the food. You could do the doctor's note or the note like, uh, I'm sorry, was it Deanna? Yeah. yeah. That said about the, you know, the, the need for the dog. I bring a lot of pickup bags. I bring, you know, portable water dishes. I always bring medications um, for ear infections, diarrhea. I just pack my pharmacy. My grooming tools, her toys, a clicker, a bell, um, treat pouch, of course, make it nice and full. Um, and optionally, if you want to use, if when we're go, when you're going through the airport, some people um, prefer to not have their dog be wanded down, and so you can take off their harness, although you are not required to, um, and you can use a mesh leash and take them right through with you. You, I usually, um, because I really don't like taking your harness off in the airport, I usually have my dog sit. I go through first because I don't like being wanded down myself. And then um, I call her. And it used to be, it was funny, they used to say you couldn't hold on to the dog's leash. Now they say you can't let go of the dog's leash. So, you know, whatever it is you need to do. But um, you, the one thing you don't want to do is you don't have to take off the harness if they, if, you know, and I've been told that I had to and, and I refused. Um, but I said, I, but I do understand that you will have to pat her down. And she wears a little pouch on her harness, you know, with pickup bags. And then they'll say, well, what's in the pouch? And I'll say, poop bags. And then they'll usually go, oh, that's okay. And <laughs> it's really funny what people think. Yeah. So, um, what, just one sec. I just want to finish this one thought, if you don't mind. Um, so the one thing you do not want to do with your dog is go through the puff screen. And I haven't seen too many of them lately. It's test explosives. Yeah. You stand in it, and it goes like that. And it 
it puffs air up and down to detect if there's been any explosives. The, some dogs have gotten totally freaked out and had to retire. So don't ever take a dog into one of those. That's a swab, and that's to see if you've had explosives. And they don't do that so much if you have. I do the the ID now. What is that pre-check? But if you're going international, they'll they would do it each time. Yeah, I know. It it just never. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You will test positive for explosive when they te- when they swipe their hands. Really? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for that, Margie. I didn't know that. So um, one of the things that we've also really enjoyed doing is when we've gone to different places is I, lo- I love maps and I have a book of tactile maps of the world and so like I really didn't understand this route that we were taking from Rome and then going to Israel and blah blah and all this and so it was really you know made it meaningful for me to be able to look on my map and really see where we were going and all that but we also have found that a lot of our technology works um, in other places so now when I walk the mile and a half um, on the lovely beach of Hawaii, um, I can put my um, blind square on or Google Maps, and it tells me what restaurants we're passing and things like that. And I don't know how many of you use iPhones or that, but I take a lot of pictures. And I, t- and I take a lot of pictures because they come out really fantastic and also... It's fun to show people, first of all, just to make them all jealous. But second of all, sometimes you learn things about places you've been to that you didn't realize. Like I didn't realize one time that there was this little spit that stuck out from near where we were staying and that there were little boats docked out there and things like that. So it was kind of fun for me to learn something new even after I got back. But the other thing I've also started realizing is that we can take a lot of experiences home with us that aren't necessarily visual that other people may not think of. So when I was recently in Nepal, and by the way, someone, Lillian was asking about my Nepal trip. I met up with a group in Nepal out of the UK. They're called Travel Eyes. I had never traveled with them before because they do not want guide dogs on their trip. And so I had decided that I would probably only travel with them if it was going someplace where, one, it wasn't appropriate for me to bring my dog, or two, it was just someplace that I really felt was like going to be way out of my own league to, to organize myself. And so I knew that I didn't want to bring my dog to Nepal because of safety issues. And so they had a trip coming up to Nepal, and I traveled with them. And it actually was a really, really fun, wonderful experience. Um, and I do give their reference in the book. But we were on a Jeep safari, and we were in the Chetwan National Park, and everyone was sort of talking, and the guides were pointing out what we were seeing, and, and it was very, very descriptive. It was like having your own audio describer the entire trip, which was really fun. But 
thought, I wanted them to be quiet. I wanted to hear the birds, you know, and the animals. And so I said to them, would you guys mind just being quiet for 30 seconds and let me record something? Um, I just would like to see if this would record. So do you, if you could indulge me for just a second, I'd like to play for you what, what I brought home. And this is my own soundscape picture to remind me of the wonderful safari ride we had. So let me just find it here. Can you even hear that? Yeah. Yeah. I know it's kind of hard. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you can. We can play it later another time. But, but it's just so fun now to be able to go back, and it's like my own little picture album of our safari. You know, so I just really encourage you to make your own experience of, of what, what you can get from it. And after that, some of our sighted guides said, "I never thought to do that. That was so awesome." And so it opened up something new from them. Too. So what I just want to close with, and then I want to have some time for questions, is that, you know, I guess if, if you take anything away from this talk, it's to be open to new experiences. It's that maybe your favorite memory may be completely different than anything you expected. Um, and that truthfully, in my opinion, there's nothing more empowering than accomplishing something meaningful that you wanted to do and having these wonderful dogs by our side, knowing that, you know, even if you get lost, you'll eventually get home and at least you'll be safe. And trusting yourself and trusting your dog because whether they stop at a curb, you know, in Chicago or whether they stop at a curb in Jerusalem, they're going to stop at the curb because that's what they do. And it's really just, we're so blessed to have them by our sides. And so I just want to stop with a quote that is in my book that says, A world is a book, and those who do not travel read only one page. Thank you so much for your attention. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'll hold it now. Sorry. Were there any more questions? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Want me to bring the mic? That'd be great. Thank you. Here you go. Thank you very much. Whoever said that, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, this has to do with travel, so I just want to put it out there because I'm very active in the audio description project. And um, if you are taking a cruise and it ports from the U.S. or it comes into the U.S., you are... I'm going to use a word that I hate, entitled to have a live audio describer on board with you. What's a new law? That's is this passed. new? Yes, it is. Fantastic. But it, again, it ha- you have to port from the U.S. or visit a U.S. port, and you need to, as soon as you book, I would start working on that. I know somebody that's going on a cruise. Yeah, we're going in September. Uh, from the U.S.? Yeah, Alaska. 
then I, w- I would start right away. Well, how that. do you arrange it? You contact the, whoever their ADA coordinator is. Every cruise line now has an ADA coordinator. Fantastic. So you contact them, let them know you're blind, tell them you want an audio describer. And that's, that is such great information. Thank you so you're much. You're welcome. Yeah, that's awesome. More questions? I have a question. Yeah. Thank you. My name is Linda Wiggins, and like I said, we were late, and I apologize That's again. okay. But um, say that I was going to go on a cruise. Mm-hmm. Now, how do I get to get all my information to make sure that I have the right documents and everything? And that the, like you said, Hawaii, for example. Right. So you can go, you can, um, you'd want to go know where your cruise is going, and you want, you can go to the embassies of each of those countries, or you can go to this website. The, and if you look in um, Sites Unseen, I give a lot of information about State Department websites and things like that. Um, and I wouldn't just ask your vet and trust your vet to totally take care of it for you. I think, you know, they're busy and they may be well-meaning. The other thing, um, so the pet pettravelstore.com has links that can take you to each country and each requirement, and you can download the actual documents. But the other thing is you often have to have those notarized and stamped within three days of your departure for each country. When those come back, Double check everything because we had some where they skipped pages and didn't sign. They have to sign every single page. So here, my girl had her third microchip. We had every. We had to send everything back to our state capital to be re-signed. The whole thing. When we got to Italy, did they look at anything? Did they check her microchip? Not a thing. But they could have, right? And so we had to be prepared because. I mean, at that point, you almost wish they would, but but we had to just be prepared because uh, if they had and I was I didn't have it, then we could have been asked. You know, we could have had to leave the country. Well, I'm really surprised about Hawaii because I know that ACB did a lot of work right. with having you know this um, prevents you from having to have a quarantine. But you, there are many many rules that you have to adhere to to not have to have the quarantine. And I understand too that when you get to and correct me if I'm wrong, when you get to Hawaii, the dog can be checked by a vet, and then they can decide that you can't come in. They have to be checked by a vet when you get to Hawaii. It has to be in Honolulu unless you've prearranged it ahead of time. There's a whole set of requirements. It's listed in the book also. But if they have any sign that there may be parasites or if the... (coughs) So when the first time we went to Hawaii with my last dog, Star, her chip had migrated from her shoulder down into her paw. Great. So you want to make sure you get that chip checked before you leave, you know, from your vet's office. Make sure they scan it and you can hear it beep. Because we were in the agriculture office in Honolulu and she goes, are you sure your dog is chipped? And I said, oh, yeah, she's chipped. Well, I can't find it. And, like, I'm holding my breath. I'm like, yes, she's chipped. I know she's chipped. And so she went all over that dog's body, and finally it gets down to almost her left front paw, and we hear, boop. (laughs) Yeah, and it had migrated down her leg. And so... So she ended up having two chips. So, like, all my dogs have to have multiple chips. It's like that's just the state of the art when they belong to Wendy David, I guess. But, um, yeah, so she, we got, I got her a second chip because I was just so afraid if she ever got lost or anything, no one would think to check there anyway. Yeah, hi. Th- this is Bob Winler. When you get those documentations stamped, do not take a copy. 
No, take a copy for yourself, but take you have to get the original. Take a copy for yourself, but yeah. you have to have an original. Right. For for to for access. Right. Yeah. But you definitely want to bring a copy for yourself because they will say, "Oh, we need these." And then when you ask for them back, they'll go, we can't find them. Yeah. I had, I had a lady that went all the way to China and had to come back home to get an original. Yeah. Yep. Um, I have a question. Sure. Is, is that your wonderful husband, Larry? It is. Okay, I have a question for him. <laughs> does, now I'm nervous. Does, did he, does he also take his own little purple suitcase for He did not. Thing? He was a little embarrassed by Wafer's purple suitcase. They shared one suitcase. I don't think they did, did they? Yeah. Hi, Wendy. This is Karen Wood. I have a question. Yeah. Um, I looked into Travel Eyes a couple years ago. It sounded mm-hmm. really great to me. And when I read on their site that they don't accept guide dogs, right. I did send them an email and right. tell them they might want to check and see if that's legal. I'm not sure that that's legal for them to do that in, in Well, England. it's their company, and they can, they can choose to do it that way. And they do it that way because they have a, a philosophy of kind of a one-on-one relationship between a guide and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I suppose we could argue about it. I don't choose to argue about it because I'm going to use them for places that I wouldn't go by myself anyway. I mean, I, I would like to go to Africa one day. I probably wouldn't want to take Wafer to Africa. So, yeah, right. You know, so I will probably go with them again because I had a great experience. But would I take them to go, you know, on a cruise or something? No, I wouldn't. Yeah, that was the second part of my question. Yeah. Now that you've traveled with them, would you recommend them? Well, I'm going with them in October. I'm going tandem bike riding in Holland. And so I don't think Wafer really wants to run alongside, so she's not going to go to this one. And so, you know, so there are lots of things that I like to, I mean, the majority, 99% of the things I do, I do with my dog. But there are things that I do that, you know, are not appropriate for my dog or are easier for me without my dog. Um, and so if it comes down to one of those two things, yes, I would definitely go with them. I am going with them again. I enjoyed it. I had a gr- I'm, In fact, a woman that I met in Nepal, we had so much fun in Nepal that she's going to meet me at the end of the bike trip in Amsterdam. <laughs> and we're going to play for three days in Amsterdam before I come home. Yeah, so I mean, they're really lovely people. If any of you have been to Ski for Light, you know what kind of people go. And they're lovely people. Other questions? You don't have to raise your... Oh, I guess you do, if someone's running you the mic. If you want the microphone. (laughs) Okay. Could you state your name, too? I'm just Colette. I'm just holding the microphone up here. Is there somebody there that would like... Has a question? I can't see a hand. Okay. Well, again, if any of you want to come up and look at... Oh, the other thing, I forgot to say one thing. So one thing I like to do when I go on a cruise is I... The website isn't always that accessible, but I like to know what's on every deck because I like to walk around a lot on the decks. And so I make my own little deck plan booklets that I carry... Test that I carry yeah. around with me, just stick in a pack or something. And Test so I brought a few of them to show you what I do. They're just, you know, just on note cards. But at least I know if I want to go, you know, play bingo or something, that I need to go to deck five and go to the front. And um, so that I find that very, very helpful and gives me a better sense of independence. 
So I have stuff up here. I have the, the deck plans. I have some of my little note cards with different languages of things. And I have a mesh leash. And I have my business card if any of you are interested in staying in touch. And again, I want to thank you all very, very much. You've been in a lovely audience. And I hope you all get out and travel and have fun. <laughs>